I want to talk about the times that we're in. And last week, we talked about two important truths. I wonder if you remember them. The first one was the world needs the church. We're not boasting about ourselves, but actually, when you think about the feeling and the atmosphere in this room, don't you think that some of your friends who are a bit down could have done with this this morning? Amen? The world needs the church. The second important truth is that the church needs Jesus. The world needs to see the church because the world needs rest. The world is is weary and it needs rest. The world needs reality. The world is is filling its life with virtual reality and yet they are longing for a reality that's really real. And the world needs to see the value in right resourcing. Not overly thinking that you've got to keep stretching for things that are always outside your grasp, but being content and knowing that, that you may not be a millionaire, but you've got something more precious than that. Don't you agree, church, that the world needs to see what we've got, so it needs us to deliver that to them. But as we, as we rightly said last week, the, week, the church needs Jesus. My map for the next few weeks is to map out some themes. I believe there'll be hard times, challenging times. And, and I'm not going to be doom and gloom. In fact, some of the things I'm going to say, I want to give you tools to know how to approach the times so that we're not going like uh, everything's all foreboding, that we're actually saying, no, this is how we can live in these times. There will be hard times. But I really believe there's going to be Holy Spirit times. And so I'm going to do a series about how to have a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be Holy Spirit times. And, and coming up, there's going to be harvest times. Hard times, Holy Spirit times, and harvest times. But not only is that a harvest of people, it's a harvest in your life. That 2018 is going to have God opportunities for you where you reap a harvest. I'm going to prophesy that over you later on. But I want you to receive that. But to follow up on how the church needs Jesus, have you noticed something about our culture? We've gone extreme. We've gone from one end to the other. Have you, have you noticed some of the programs? Now, just to say, I don't watch these programs. I might have watched a little bit, but as anybody sees, you shouldn't say this in church, there's a program called, on MTV called Jackass. And, and uh, 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 some of you have seen it. And it's about doing crazy stunts, isn't it? There's an even worse one called Dirty Sanchez that I've only watched two minutes of. Okay, where people are, you, some of you are smiling at me saying, oh, I've watched that, Pastor. And, and you know, they do like crazy stunts, like, you know, a shopping trolley down 15-foot stairs and, and crash out and then get up and laugh. And, and everything's gone extreme, hasn't it? You know, there's an American called David the Bullet Smith who holds the world record by uh, being shot out of a cannon. And he's gone 50 meters in his cannonball at a speed of 75 miles an hour. 
Wim Hof, who's a Dutch uh, daredevil, climbed Mount Everest or attempted to in his shorts, just his shorts. Uh, and uh, actually, he gave up because he injured his foot. Uh, but he did actually mount, uh, uh, manage Mount Kilimanjaro. So David Blaine was buried for seven days. It's extreme, isn't it? Uh, for an airline pilot named Her- Herbert Nietzsche, he is known as the deepest man on earth because with one dive, with one breath, he dived 702 feet under the water. That's the height of Canary Wharf. Extreme. And uh, the, the Slovakian Martin Strel, uh, he swam the Amazon River, which is 3,000 300 miles. And against, he had piranhas attacking him, but he still carried on. It's extreme. We've gone extreme. We think that extreme is great. For 125 years, it was illegal to cross from Canada to the United States via the Niagara Falls until Nick Wallander became the first person to tightrope walk across the walls in 2012. And it was significant because he overcame a 165 feet drop. It's extreme. Robbie Cavell, Robbie Knievel, who's the son of the evil Knievel, the famous stuntman, jumped the Grand Canyon on a motorbike. It's extreme. Some of you are going, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. 2015, have you seen if you have an Apple computer, the the screensaver is the Yosemite Granite Mountain, which is said to be the hardest mountain climb in the world. Two Americans free climbed that, which is without ropes or anything. And they slept in tents on ledges on the way up. It's extreme. And then... Of course, Alain Robert, known as the Spider-Man, the French free climber, he climbed the Burj Khalifa, which is the highest uh, building in the world in Dubai, 828 meters, 2,717 feet high. He climbed it. Alan Eustace, a former computer scientist and Google executive, did the longest skydive, and he dived from 26 miles up. His body exceeded 821 miles an hour when he was falling. It's extreme. Some of you have trouble putting your slippers on. (laughs) But our culture has gone where the brave is seen as the extreme. Where let's push everything to the envelope. It's a cultural move. Let's challenge the things we thought. Now, I don't want us to be uh, kind of boring, and I don't think we should be overcautious, but I want to say something really different today, something very countercultural as to what the church needs to be like. We don't need to be seen as boring, and we will have adventures, but as far as our thinking goes, the world needs to see us as balanced. They're longing for people of balance. The times and how the church needs to be, the next issue for the church is to be very clear on why we follow Christ. And it means that we have to have good, balanced doctrine 
and good balanced teaching in our lives. Now, one of the reasons why we're asking you, buy a Bible and read it, because we want you to anchor yourself in the balance and the challenge of the Word of God and not just extreme challenges. Not just things that, that might come out of a, of a dissatisfaction with life. To the church at Pergamum, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are letters to the seven churches of Asia. And I don't believe that these letters are to churches of seven different ages. These are letters to all types of churches that happen at all times. And to the church at Pergamum, Jesus writes this letter and he says, There are some amongst you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to, enti- who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I'll explain what the teaching of the Nicolaitans is in a moment. Jesus also in those chapters wrote to a church at Thyatira. He said, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to idols. In the letters, Jesus is saying, look, there's a balance that you need to gain in your thinking and in your doctrine." And there are three types of balance that we need to have today if we're going to be a church that the world needs. And this is how to connect with the Jesus that we need. In particular, we need to make sure we have the balance in in between grace and saying I'm forgiven and God loves me and he accepts me and boundaries that say, but I can't do that. That was one of the teachings of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans said, doesn't matter what you do. Eat anything you like. Doesn't matter what's happened. You're just in the family. It's all grace, 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 grace. It doesn't matter how you sleep around. Jesus will forgive you. He'll he'll just let it go. And of course, there is great forgiveness for anybody today who says, look, I've, I've messed up. Jesus will say, I love to clean up messes, doesn't he? And there is oceans and oceans of grace. But in your family, you know the best way to raise your family and to be in your family is that you say, I love you to bits, I love you, I really care about you, but this is the way we do things around here. And that's exactly what the balance of the church needs to have. You will be asked at work to buy into lots of things and in grace and in love. You can say, I don't really do that. Listen to what John said to the early church. In 2 John verse 6 it says, and this is love. Not, and this is heavy, and this is, uh, this is mean, but, and this is love. That we walk in obedience to his commands. You see, you can show that you love God by saying, God, I will allow you to put boundaries around my life. I will will allow you to draw the map of where I'm going. 
And you know yourself that you may have met some chaotic people that have no boundaries and they're incapable of loving, incapable of giving. Relationships have messed up because there's been no boundaries. The Nicolaitans taught, doesn't matter, he just loves you. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you need a balance between grace and boundaries. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commandments. As you have heard from the beginning, this is the command. And the command is this, walk in love. It's a loving thing to say to a little child, darling, would you mind putting down that carving knife? That's not a mean thing. It's a loving thing when God says to you, oh, that's not good for you. I love you. And so as a church, we need a balance between God's loving grace that that forgives me when I mess up, but this sense of, but God, what are you saying on my boundaries? The second balance that the Nicolaitans got wrong was is they taught that some leaders should dominate people's lives. And we need a balance today in our church and in, and in our society of having our faith where we are anchored in God for ourselves and we have a balance on following people, but we are anchored in God for ourselves. We have the right balance of submission and listening and and uh, taking note of good examples, but at the same time, we follow God responsibly for ourselves. We imitate our leaders. We think, well, Pastor Mark's fasting, and I'll imitate what he's doing. I'll fast as well, or he's praying. I'll do that. My leaders are my example, and I'll, I'll listen. And our good shepherds that you have around you, you can listen to them. That's appropriate. But what the Nicolaitans taught was is that leaders made every decision and that they dominated your life, and that's not right. So we need a balance on that. There are some of us who are in a pendulum where we don't listen to anyone. Nobody can tell us anything. And there are some of us on the other side where we... we We just think that everything that people say, we have to take on board. And actually, what Jesus is saying is, no, you've got to have good leaders around you, but don't, you've got to have a balance whereby you're serving God for yourself. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I hope that was a kind of submissive listening amen, by the way, and not a amen, Pastor Mark. You see, the Nicolaitans had this wild idea that you could do what you like, but at the same time had these cult heroes that they gave permission to doing the wrong things. And Jesus comes along and corrects it. In our culture today, it's almost like a hatred of leaders. It doesn't matter what political party you're from. But it seems to me that we run down leaders. We're looking for the moment. And of course, our leaders do sometimes let us down. But we've got to have this balance of, well, shall we not give people a chance? Shall we not pray for them? Shall we not work with them? And that culture is ebbing into the church. 
I want to say to you today, in our modern Christianity where, where preachers are, are rock stars on, on YouTube, you have to know your faith for yourself. So why don't you buy a Bible and get into the Word for you? Keeping your ears open, knowing that you can listen, that's fine. The third balance is that it was very clear, it's written in the scripture, is keeping ourselves from sexual immorality. Our world today is in a wash with every sexual expression is equal. And you can become very unpopular when you say, for me, it isn't. And so I want to ask you and say to you, how will we live in these times? Because I don't want to just paint the times and then you say, oh man, how are we supposed to do this? Here's the two things, here's the two tools that you can use so that you can live in this balance. First of all, the key for us is that does God sanction what we are doing clearly in the Scriptures? Is there something in the Word that I can point to and says, that gives me the permission or that tells me no? And then if you can do that, that's why it's important that you're in the Word. If you can do that, then you'll begin to make progress. And the second thing is, does what I want to do, does it bring us closer in devotion to God? After doing it, do I feel closer or further away? Or does it merely feed my feelings and that opinion that says, oh, what's the harm? Two tools. If you want to live in balance, does the scripture tell you you can do it or not do it? And does, when you've done it, does it lead you in closer devotion to God? That will keep you, particularly sexually. It will keep you. The church needs Jesus. And the church needs to live in balance. The balance about leaders, the balance about grace and boundaries, and the balance about sexual expression. You know, it's okay to be a sexual person. Uh, If I said, can I hear an amen, there'd be kind of a muffled one. It's okay to have attractive feelings. It's okay In fact, some attractions that you think are not okay, they they are what you are. But it's how you put boundaries around them that's the important thing. Can I hear an amen to that? It's okay to be a sexual person, amen? Okay, it's okay to have boundaries around sexual feelings, amen? I knew I'd get a bigger amen the second time. It's okay. The second issue where the church needs Jesus is that we need to learn to be faithful to God under pressure. And the life, when life does not go well and we're rejected by others, to the church in Smyrna, Smyrna was a perfume-making area and they used to crush the crystals and put them under pressure to bring out the perfume. And when Jesus said to Smyrna, he said, I know your afflictions and poverty, and yet you are rich, and I know about the slander. You see, we need a church that can handle pressure. We need people in the church that 
are so connected to Jesus that they know how to bear up under the pressure. You see, our response to pressure is in verse 10 in in chapter 2, I believe it is, of Revelation. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I will tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Imagine having a crown that says life all around it. Isn't that great? See, there are three tools about how to live under pressure. First tool is reject fear. Jesus' words, when when he sends an angel, or he often comes, he usually says, do not be afraid. Because I don't know how cool you are, but if I saw an angel, I'm going to go, whoo! Do not be afraid. When you're under pressure, fear, in many of, in all of its forms, often come. It usually comes by a, a negative, satanic, disgusting voice that tells you that the worst things are going to happen to you. You know that last year we did a really tragic funeral here. I still feel that I I can't say that that was a good thing. Where mom and dad and two daughters died in a fire. And on the day of that funeral, when I came in to the church, I came in early. I, I wept for the first hour on my own in my office. Saying, God, I I don't know whether I can do this. And of course, there was a voice there, wasn't there? The fear voice that says, yeah, it's judgment on your church. It's, you know, you've messed up. It's, it's you can't do this. And you're going to say things today that are going to upset people. And you haven't got the words. But then when you reject that voice and say, well, I've always said, in fact, every Sunday, you know what I do? Every single, every single Sunday, I pray even before I get out of bed, sometimes by the side of my bed, sometimes I lie down on the floor, and I say, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. And I've said that for all of my ministry, every single Sunday. If you don't want to go with me, I don't want to go. And on that day, I lay before the Lord, and I said, well, if you go with me, then I'll go. And then the other voice comes, the sweet voice, the assuring voice, the voice that says, I'm with you no matter what, the voice that says, you can, in my strength, you can. And you see, we've got to learn to be under pressure and to refuse the fear voice and to receive the sweet voice that says, I can rebuild you, I can change you, I can do this through you. You may be crushed at the moment, but perfume will come out. So reject fear. The second tool to live under pressure is to be faithful. Do what you know to do and keep doing it. It hasn't changed. In fact, I feel in my spirit that I need to really say this. You need to stop reinventing yourself. It hasn't changed. 
Do what you know to do. You need to pray, be in your word, be in fellowship, serve, and do what you need to do, and God will come through to you. It will be, he will be faithful. He is a faithful God. You be faithful to him. You know, some of you are working industries that are on the news right now. It doesn't matter whether they go down the tubes. You are going to be establishing God. Be faithful. Amen? Last thing. Third tool to live under pressure is you need to have an eternal perspective. Jesus said to his church, look up. Look, look up. You've got, you'll have a victor's crown. You, you will. There is a heaven. There is an afterlife. There is a victory coming. And this isn't all that there is. And when I'm under pressure, I think, well, you know, if this slays me, I'm going to be with Jesus. I have an eternal perspective on things. I will get an eternal crown. You know, Matt Redmond's just reworked a song. And you remember that old song? When we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. I didn't think this would be a solo. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And he's just reworked that song. And he's put verses to it that I think are really brilliant. We'll probably bring it in church. But at the end of the song, he says this. There'll be no more cancer then. There'll be no more depression then. You know, we say amen now, but you need to really get it. There'll be healing. He's going to personally take his personal handkerchief out, and he's going to wipe away tears from your eyes. He's going to say, do you remember that time when they slandered you, accused you? Do you remember when you came into British society and they called you names? They're going to take all those slandering things away and he's going to wipe the tears from your eyes and that's the reality you're going to live in. Come on, somebody give the Lord praise. You know, Chitty, in a million years' time, I'll be a million and 58 and you'll be a million and 35. Okay, in a million years' time, we're going to walk down the street and we're going to see Sinak and she's going to be going, oh man, the worship here is much more awesome than on that Wednesday night because that's the reality we're going to. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Come on, let's give him praise. He's so worthy today. So if you want to live under pressure, keep, keep up, keep your head up. On the eternal perspective, it doesn't mean that you have escapism, you don't face reality, but you do have to stand and say, well, let's make sure that we know where we're going. Last thing, and I want to prophesy this more than preach this. The issue is that we, whether we as a church, to get closer to Jesus, we need to understand that we need to take the God opportunities that he is going to lay before us. To the church at Philadelphia, he says, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. See, I've placed before you an open door. And in the Lord right now, I want to say to you here, I'm going to close my eyes. 
I say to you, the Lord has laid before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. The issue for us is that whether we are brave enough to walk through the opportunities that God has for us. Now, when we preach this, we, we usually preach it as if God opens a door, we walk through it, and everything's rosy. But that isn't the case. You know, we walked through a God opportunity on Wednesday night. We had a brilliant concert. The day was fraught with difficulties. We got to that concert having had attacks on the church, losses for the group, mess-ups, muddle-ups, all sorts of things. But we got there and we worshipped and had a God-gift opportunity to us. What I want to say to you is this. God will open a door. Do you think the enemy is going to say, yeah, walk right through. I won't do anything. He's going to say, I'm going to try and hinder that, spoil that, uh, deny that, change that. He's going to do that. God opened Jesus an opportunity to save the world and it led him to the cross. You see, God opportunities are God's way of shaping your destiny, your character, and your love. But he'll open those opportunities, and some of them will be a dream, and some of them will be a challenge. But have you got the bravery in God to walk through the opportunities that he's now placing before you? You see, the issue is not your strength. It's not your ability. The issue is, is by how much you are willing to trust God's word and to stay open about your faith as much as you can. Now, if you have a job opportunity before you, you you don't need to deny God to get ahead. You don't need to keep quiet about God. Now, let me counsel you on your first day at work. Don't go into the boss and say, hello, boss, can I pray with you? Don't do that. That's not going to be wise. But neither are you to hide your faith so much that in five years' time they say, I never knew you went to church. You've got to be authentic person that says, I'm going to be open about my faith. I'm going to develop my career along godly principles of telling the truth, being the same person in private as I am in public, of committing things to prayer, of being honest, of being kind, of pastoring my workplace. When you do all of that, God will open opportunities for you. And I want to say it a little bit stronger. I prophesy over this church and over you now that this is the year of God opportunities for us and for you. Amen? Do you receive that? Let's stand together, shall we? I believe this is a year of opportunities. Worship team, if you'll come and join me. And in fact, turn to your neighbor and tell them, God opportunities for you this year. You see, the issue is, it's not about your strength. It's not about 
about how strong you are. It's about how much you can hold on and don't let anybody take your identity away from you. Can I say that again? Because there's only Leon that got it. Don't let anybody take your Christian identity away from you. You are who you are in God. And the opportunities will come. But my opportunities are not Danny's opportunities. If he wanted Danny in my opportunities, he would call Danny to my opportunities. My opportunities are Mark's opportunities. So I've got to be Mark in my opportunities. I'm not suddenly going to change. I'm going to grow. I'm going to progress. But God is going to open opportunities that he's fixing for you. So don't think, well, look at Pastor Mark preaching. I've got to become like him to be godly. Man, I once led my maths teacher to the Lord. That was a miracle, wasn't it? I led my maths teacher to the Lord. She prayed the prayer, accepted Jesus. She lifted her eyes. The first thing she said to the person who who prayed the prayer with her is, I haven't got to be like Mark, have I? Your opportunities are your opportunities. So walk through them. And I prophesy over you again. This is a year of God opportunities for you. And some of them will be challenging. Some of them will be easy. Some of them will be out of the blue. Really, it's a matter about how much you will come out as a Christian and say, I'm standing on you. The world needs the church. The world needs a church that is spiritually alive. The world needs a church that's clear in balance of how it lives. The world needs a church that doesn't buckle under pressure when it's tested. The world needs a church that walks in faith and takes new ground and walks into opportunities. That's the type of church the world needs. And to be that type of church, I need Jesus. Would you lift your hand with me and would you say, I need you, Lord Jesus. I need you today. I need you today, Lord. I need you today. And then they would be impacted and then they would come. In a few moments, some of you may need to come and pray about anything. You've, you, you've got an opportunity and you want to make sure it's from God. I'm going I'm to open this. But just, just for a moment, just to almost force it home, I want you to place a hand on somebody you love and, and face them and, and prophesy over them. You prophesy over them. I prophesy God opportunities in your life this year. Come on, you just do that. God opportunities. You may say, I can't prophesy. You can. Put it on their shoulder and say, I pray God opportunities for you.
January. January is a month not of making resolutions, but it's a month of laying foundations. So why don't you lay some foundations of saying, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to fix my finances. I'm going to do some fasting. I'm going to do some praying. I'm going to put some good foundations in because those opportunities are coming. So you need the foundations to hold them. Let's sing that song together, shall we? How many of you believe God's good? Amen. God is good. You are good, good.